guys are dismissed. And as they're going, just a couple uh, quick announcements. Remember, we're reading through the Gospel of John. All right. And tomorrow we start over again, chapter 8. So I encourage you to read along. Uh, so we go John 8 through 14. And we'll come, we'll keep going through John until we hit Easter coming up. And I love reading those last couple chapters about that. Now, some of you are sitting in brown chairs. So we had a, actually had a church call us that was needing to move some chairs out of a storage and said that we could, uh, they were on loan to us for about a year. So we have a, a, not exactly 100 chairs in here. Uh, and so we've got uh, some finalized ideas of what we're going to do with the red chairs and reupholstering them. We're just trying to figure out some fabric uh, that's a reasonable price. So if any of you fabric people know, please let us know where to go. But um, so if you're sitting in a brown chair, if you reach underneath, there's a surprise for you to do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there were people picking up their stuff and moving up. So um, we want to thank the Warehouse Church for uh, uh, having these chairs as well. Right after service, we have food and fellowship and our adult Bible study. And then let me mention this lastly, March 25th, we are going to do a Sunday night night of worship. Would love for all of you to come. But if you're interested in singing, this is going to be choir-led. If you're interested in being a part of that choir, I was going to call out some names in here, but I won't do that. Uh, there's two rehearsals. It's mentioned in your bulletin. I believe it's the 8th and the 22nd. I encourage you to come out, sing, right? Learn some songs, and we'll kick off uh, with a night of worship. All right, well, open your Bibles then with me to the book of... You know, we make things really simple at the Hills Church, right? Open to the book of John. Um, let me have you jump ahead and hold your spot in John 8 in John 21. Because I want to look at um, two sections of scripture there. In fact, my title, as I've been reading through here, and I've been underlining, though, there's more and more things that you see as you read God's word over and over again. And so my title today is, I Saw You, right? I Saw You, and this is going to be a description that Jesus used of Nathaniel. But the focus of John, if we were to narrow down John's gospel, it would be John 20, 31. But these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, right? Believing that you would have life in his name. Now, John starts with this in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Or John was writing, he's saying, we saw the glory. We lived seeing that glory. We saw him for who he was. We were there when he was baptized. Uh, we were there at that first miracle that John records, the, the water. We beheld his glory. We saw what he did. Now they beheld his glory, but as John said before, but there's life in you because of his name. Now, I read uh, after, after a few Sundays ago when I did the, when we looked at the turning of tables of Jesus clearing the temple, this last two verses, John 2 verse 23 24 and 25. It's really kind of sad when you read these. And listen to what John wrote 
about Jesus. Now, when he, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man. Listen to what the end says. For he knew what was in man. Boy, when you read that, we'll look at a couple. He knew what was on the inside of them. They were following him for signs, right? I'm hungry. Let's, where's Jesus hanging out today? Because I bet you he's going to multiply some food. They were following, following him for signs. He would not commit himself. He would not give any other detail because he knew what was on the inside of him. They weren't following him for those right reasons. So John 2 gives us that insight. What was in man? Well, after Jesus read this, he saw very in the temple. He saw where they took a house of worship and turned it into a house of merchandise. How they were taking advantage of people by raising prices because they traveled from a long distance. And they couldn't bring an offering or a sacrifice. They had to purchase one there. He saw the money changers. He probably knew that the priests and people were getting kickbacks off of that. He saw what was on the inside. They weren't true worshipers. Right? He knew what was in man. He could read what was in man. And in this one verse here, in fact, let me read, um, let me read John 1.48. John 1.48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the, tr under the fig tree, I saw you. Right? Now that's kind of an odd scripture, isn't it? Oh yeah, I, I, I saw you sitting there under the fig tree. Well, if you read that section of scripture, it has nothing to do with what he looked like. It had everything to do with what was on the inside of him. He saw something on the inside. That's what Jesus looks at today. And I, and I underlined, I thought about that. He sees me. He sees me. You know, when my kids were both little, um, they both liked to play hide-and-go-seek. But there was two different ways we did it. When Madison was little, she called it chase. So she wanted to chase me around the house, and I would hide, and she would find me. And I would hand, we were living in North Carolina at the time, I would hide in our pantry, and I'd stick my toes out through the pantry, and I'd move, my, wiggle my toes. And she'd like, I found you. Oh, you're so good, right? You got me. Well, Maverick was different. Maverick wanted to play hide-and-go-seek with his plastic lightsabers. And so the deal was, if you got found, you got whacked. So he, right, so he was no fun to, to play with because he'd find you. And, you know, they don't know to go easy on you. They'd whack you, right? And then you get me, you want to kind of whack them back. And they would always say that, I saw you, right? I saw you, hide-and-go-seek. You know, today... Um, Many of us, as we go about our day and whether we go to a different store, do you know that you are captured on surveillance cameras now about an average of 70 times a day? 70 times a day, you're captured. Some of you might be even more depending on where you work or the places that you go. If you walk into a mall or a grocery store or somewhere else, you've been seen. If you're driving in a car through an intersection, you've been seen. Uh, if you go to your house, maybe you've been seen. 
But one of the things that we know is people still, even though they know they're on surveillance cameras, they don't care anymore, right? They'll even look at the camera and do their theft. It's like they don't care. They don't think that anybody saw them. And I was thinking about, you know, Michelle and I, August will have been married 25 years in August. 25 years. You know, there's nothing secret that I think I can even hide from her. You can't hide Christmas gifts because they find them, right? And I think the same with the kids. If you have money on your money clip, the kids will take your money. They go through and they take your socks, right? Uh, we share a, a closet, or I should say I have a, a borrowed section of the closet uh, that I have in there. Uh, there's not a glove box, there's not a drawer, there's not a, an email password, there's not anything that I could actually hide anything anywhere, unless I dug something and hid it in the ground outside to be safe. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the stuff on the outside. He's talking about the things on the inside. God sees David. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. What does he look at? The heart. So when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he's not reading a guy and thinking, man, this guy would be great for our team. He looks so good. I bet he shopped at the marketplace by the Sea of Galilee. Man, he's just dressed so sharp. He's not looking at anything on the outside. He's looking at what's taking place on the inside. Now here's a different thought. Because though we've been married 25 years and though there's not been uh, many weeks over that period of time where we've been apart, uh, she might be able to find everything about me, but I could, if I wanted to, still hide things in my heart that she wouldn't know about. And yet you would live with somebody and you would talk with somebody every day and and all of the life dealings and things that you share, but I could still hide some things that she wouldn't know about. Maybe never know about. But Jesus sees everything, right? Everything. Everything is naked and open to him. And I believe as we go through here, he's looking on the inside of Nathaniel. And you know what he sees? He sees a true character. One of the ones that he wants to follow, wants him to follow along. And you know, Nathaniel doesn't really do anything that we read about. You ever read the book of Nathaniel? The prophecy of Nathaniel? We don't read anything. But here's what we read about him. He was a man without guile. There was a character about him. And the Spirit showed that to Jesus. He had character on the inside. He knew what was in man. So I'm going to look at, real quick at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. You've probably all read this story before. This is the woman caught in the act of adultery. But there's actually two groups of people Jesus looks at or looks on the inside. Doesn't necessarily look at the motive on the outside, but looks at the inside. And verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught. So what's Jesus doing? Sitting down, teaching all of the people around. Then we get verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, 
This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at verse 12, though. Then Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So I can't imagine him teaching. It'd be like they'd somebody drag somebody right through right the foyer and throws them down in the mist with an accusation. Jesus does something interesting, doesn't he? What does he do after he says it? He stoops down and he starts doing something in the sand as if not paying attention to any of them. Well, what's their motive? Their motive is to trap him. In fact, they're going to pin him against the very law of Moses. Because if he errs on, he's going to, it's a lose-lose anyway on Jesus' side of who he stands with. But he's not even paying attention to what he says. And I think that probably um, infuriates them a moat. He knew the motive of their hearts. And so that's what he spoke to. In fact, he knew this would be a trap, but he began to speak by what the Spirit gave, this big test. You know, uh, unless I'm uh, misguided, adultery takes two people, right? So where's the guy? Right? Where's the guy? So number one, you're missing somebody, right? And you have this lady right in front of you, probably embarrassed as could be, thrown out. Uh, according to the law of Moses, should have been stoned. Now, when we say those things, I read an article back in October in Somalia, Mogadishu, a lady with eight kids who was in adultery was taken into a stadium and 50 men stoned her in front of a crowd of a 1,000. This is in October. So when we read these things, these things are, are, are happening. Well, Adultery is interesting because what's Jesus now going to say? But I, I, I often thought this. What did he write? What did he do in the sand? I remember uh, early in Bible college, we were reading through this, and I met afterwards with my professor, and I said, what do you think, what do you think that Jesus wrote? Because he didn't do anything unintentional. He wasn't drawing pictures you know, and the one thing I remember thinking was, you know, Jesus, we don't have any recording of anything Jesus wrote. Everything that he said was written by somebody else 
uh, led by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that he wrote himself that they would say, we've got the actual sand writings, right? And you can visit them every weekend. There's, there's nothing down there. Uh, here's what my professor said. He said, go read Jeremiah 17, 13. He says, go read Jeremiah 17. That's all he said. So I'm going to read it out of the New Century Version today. And, he, and it says this, Lord, hope of Israel, those who leave you will be shamed. People who quit following the Lord will be like a name written in the dust because they have left the Lord, the spring of living water. Now, I remember I read that later and came back. Are you saying you had insight into actually what he wrote? He said, oh, no, no, we don't have any idea what he wrote. The only time that we see God doing anything in the dirt is with Adam. And then this verse that's mentioned, it says there right there at the end, right? Uh, people who quit following the Lord will be like a name written in the dust because they have left the Lord the spring of living water. Now, Jesus uses these words. Whoever has not committed a sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. What did the crowd do? Dropped their stone and they walked away. So the only person left is this lady who, remember, Jesus is now going to look into her heart and he's going to say, woman, where are your accusers? They left. And here he uses those very powerful words. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So let, let's think about that for a minute. So was Jesus overlooking that? Is the sin of adultery overlooked? Not at all. He saw something different, I believe. In fact, I, I wrote this down. Um, that when there's new life presented to somebody, they become free in their life with Jesus. I think there was something in his words that he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Go be free, right? Go be free. That those would be powerful words spoken to her, not just by something that happened on the outside, but something that happened in her heart. Even if she was trapped in sin, she wasn't hopeless because there was a redeemer that looked her eye to eye, but obviously heart to heart. Go and sin no more. But it's interesting that Jesus follows up and he says in verse 12, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in what? Darkness. I wonder if he said those things because that was the actual heart condition of her. No more walking in darkness, right? I've met him face to face, the Redeemer. I've been, grace was given to me today. I should have been left under a pile of stones. But now I'm walking away because I was face to face with this Jesus. So Jesus sees, passes the, I always call them the religious uh, police, but he shows grace to this woman who's now met him face to face, or even as we look at, he saw her, right? He saw her, she's the redeemed. Last one in John 21, John chapter 21. I wanted to look for a minute at Peter. In fact, we won't, we won't take much time to go through the whole chapter, but the disciples 
have gone back to fishing. And they're not standing at the shore with their nets, or they're not casting anything from the shore. They're out on a boat. That gives us a different picture. It gives us a different thought that they have possibly thought everything that we've done the last three and a half years is over, and we better go back to what we know, and we know fishing. But Jesus is going to show up. In fact, I want to read this, John 21, and I just want to read verse 15 through 19 of what Jesus says to Peter. It says this, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, if you go back and you read the story, these guys are out fishing and they're not catching anything. Jesus yells from the shore, that great one, you know, like we would all do if we see somebody fishing. What do you say? Hey, have you caught anything? And it's the ability, Jesus says, hey, have you guys caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. They throw the net on the other side of the boat. They catch 153 big fish, but the net isn't breaking. Peter knows who that is now, who's at the shore. That's Jesus. Takes off this coat. He goes for a swim. Now, we know that Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Okay? Three times. Isn't it interesting that Jesus now asks him three times, do you love me? But the response when Jesus says, do you love me, isn't so that Jesus can feel good three times. Okay, that was the one rooster called. You love me? Okay, that was two. One more. All right, that covers the rooster's crow. No, the calling of him was for Jesus to say, do you love me? And then he says, feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Right? Tend to my sheep. Peter, yes. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. You know, we won't take the time to look at it, but there's a great analogy in the Greek language that Jesus uses a different kind of love than the love that Peter is responding to. Yet what Jesus is doing in the heart of Peter He's not just having Peter say, I love you. Jesus is coming right back to say, would you feed the lambs? Would you feed the babies? You don't see it now. But in Acts, something's going to happen when you preach that there are 3,000 people that are going to accept me and you need to be responsible for feeding the babes. Right? You're going to feed them. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Then I want you to tend to my sheep. You're going to look after them. Right? You're going to take care of them. And then finally he says again, Peter, yes, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Don't you know that? Yeah, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to teach my sheep. But here's what Jesus could have done. Most of us would have written off somebody that denied us three times. They denied me three times. He cursed at a little girl around the campfire. 
How do you do that, right? How do you do that? But Jesus sees the heart. He sees that character in Peter. He sees what Peter's called to do. He sees that potential that's on the inside that Peter didn't see. Peter thought he was only worth going back out to fishing until Jesus came to him to talk about not only his worth of him, him loving him, but the assignment that he had on Peter's life. Do you love me? Do you love me? I like where uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to him of whom we must give account. I almost think this is one of those situations that Jesus is giving Peter that opportunity now to give account as he begins to hand off to him a very important ministry. You know, it's like um, going to airport security. And they have you write out that you're not bringing in bombs or guns. And then they ask you, do you have anything packed in your bag? Uh, yeah, just a few bombs, you know, but nothing. No, no, no. And then even when you're honest and you let them know I don't have anything, they ask you again, and then they wand you, right? And they make you strip down and take belts and shoes off and watches and whatever, and they go all through you. Don't they trust you that you said you didn't have anything, right? Do they trust you? They don't trust you at all. They're going to inspect you because they don't believe what you had to say. Well, here's what Jesus wanted to do, I believe, with, with Peter. He wanted to make sure that Peter understood how much he loved him, regardless of what he did, but how much he wanted to hear and put back that assignment that was in Peter's life that could have been so easily forgotten about, so easily misled or gone the other way. In fact, I like what David says in Psalm 139, verse 2 and 3, and he says this, Lord, you know my sitting down, and my rising up, you understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. I like to read that verse and many times I like to think and say, God, I don't want anything in me that when you see that you would say, oh boy, no, I, I want that when God sees my heart, that I've taken that time to make sure my heart's scrubbed clean, right? I scrub that part of the soul. Because what the master wants to do is use us. He sees us, sees the true part about us, sees the place that we could hide things. But he looks down and in his power and his love and his might calls us back up to what he sees. I thank God that he sees things in our lives, isn't that? He sees the things about our lives and continually calls us back up with him saying, I love you. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says, right? His masterpiece. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. Now don't say you're a piece, right? No, no. <laughs> you're whose masterpiece? My mom and dad. They always tell me I'm their piece. No, you're his masterpiece, right? You're his masterpiece. He sees you sitting under the of all tree, the fig tree. I saw you. Oh, you ever do that? I do that. If I see you at the mall, I'm going to go say hi. I'm not the type that goes, oops. 
Sorry, Mimi. Right, I didn't talk to you today. I didn't brush my teeth this morning. I don't do that. I know some people do. I'll walk right up. I don't mind. Doesn't matter. It's scary sometimes when somebody says to you, hey, I saw you the other day. Well, where was I, right? You did? What? <laughs> All things are naked and open to them. No. There's a song I was listening to the other day. It's called uh, Danny Gokey sings this song, Masterpiece. And I, I wanted to close with just this last bit. And the song lyric says this, you're making a masterpiece. You're shaping the soul inside of me. And I like this last part. You're moving where I can't see, and all that I am is in your hands. You're moving in the places that I can't see. It's because I'm calling you Lord of my life. I'm telling you to fill me to full, right, of overflow, so there's not room for it. I don't want to go back to any of that. You're making my life what you've called it to be, your workmanship, your handiwork, your masterpiece, and I'm yours in your hands. Well, bow your heads, if you would, with me today. In fact, let me read that again before we pray. You're making a masterpiece. You're shaping the soul in me. You're moving where I can't see, and all I am is in your hands. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Jesus. Seeing our lives, our characters, being, having him work on the inside of us. If he didn't forget Peter, he won't forget us. But he keeps coming back to that calling. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time, it's an assignment, it's an assignment, it's an assignment. Well, Father, we thank you today that we live under your eyes. Everything's open to you. And we thank you that the light of the world resides on the inside of us, and we want to do your work, your will, your ministry. We're never alone because you're with us. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us today. And Lord, I thank you when you look at us like David, you don't look at the outward, you look at the inside part, our hearts. And we bless you this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. This song is called Psalm 139, so it's interesting that the pastor just read Psalm 139. How many of you like reggae? 
I was born in Connecticut, grew up with Jamaican, so song goes out to Mr. Lester, who requested it. God knows every little part of you, every secret part, every small part of your heart, everything you tried to hide from him. He sees it all, and yet he still loves us. Amen? Amen. You know every little part of me, and you still love me, delighting in mercy. Who's a God like you? You know every little part of me, and you still love me. Delighting in mercy, who's a God like? Chase me down with your goodness, Lord. Chase me down with your mercy, Lord. Chase me down with your goodness, Lord. Your mercy, Lord. Your goodness, Lord. You chase me down with your goodness, Lord. You chase me down with your mercy, Lord. You chase me down with your goodness, Lord. Your mercy, Lord. Your goodness, Lord. You know every little part of me. And you still love me. Lighting in mercy. Who's a God like you? You know every little part of me. And you still love me. Delighting in mercy. Who's a God? No matter if I go to the top of the mountain. No matter if I go to the bottom of Sheol. No matter if I go anywhere. You are there. You are there. No matter if I go to the top of the mountain, no matter if I go to the bottom of Sheol, no matter if I go anywhere, you are there, you are there, yeah. You know every little part of me, and you still love me, delighting in mercy. Who's a God like you? You know every little part of me. And you still love me, delighting in mercy. Who's a God? Grace is enough. He paid it all. His grace is enough. He paid it all. Grace is enough. He paid it all. No matter, no matter, no matter, no matter who you are. Grace is enough. He paid it all. Grace is enough. He paid it all. His grace is enough. Paid it all, no matter, no matter, no matter, no matter what you've done. You know every little part of me, and you still love me, delighting in mercy. Who's a God like you? You know every little part of me, and you still love me, delighting in mercy. Who's a God like you? On Tuesday for Valentine's Day, I was at breakfast with my mom, and we walked into the restaurant, and we sat down, and um, they had brought us the menus in. We were both looking at the menus, and then all of a sudden, two people came and sat on each side of me. And I looked up and I, oh, it was some friends. And she's all, didn't you get my text? 
And I said, no. Well, my phone had been in my purse. And so she said, I texted you and it said, I see you. I'm reminded this morning, no matter what fig tree I'm sitting under, no matter what fig tree you are sitting under, the fig tree in your life could be your job. It could be a relationship. It could be a circumstance that is completely out of your control. And that fig tree might have branches that are swooping down. And you might find yourself there because it just brings shade. But the Lord wants you to know. He sees you. And not only does he see you, but like on Tuesday, my two friends came and they sat on each side of me. Jesus might stand in front of you. The Father might stand in front of you and say, and say to you, I see you. But his Son and the Holy Spirit come alongside you and say you're not alone. You're never alone because he sees you. You need to know today you're seen. And there might be people in your life that are writing in the sand or saying things to accuse you. And they're not the ones writing in the sand. They're the ones giving verbal assault. But the father writes in the sand and they leave. And he looks at you and he says, I see you. He sees you. You're not alone. And then sweet fellowship happens, just like on Tuesday. We sat, we were supposed to order breakfast, and the waitress, the server, came by probably three or four different times. He said, oh, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. Because sweet fellowship just happened. We just got to chatting. You know, when Jesus sees you, there's sweet fellowship that will take place if you allow him to see you. Amen? You are seen. Sometimes we don't want to be seen. Have you ever been there? I thought of when Walter said, all the cameras that catch us during a day about our business, I thought, shoot, they might not know that it's me. Because I don't look the same in the grocery store that I do when I come to church. Got that funky bun going on, and sometimes too, because one's coming out the backside. Sometimes you don't want to be seen, but he sees you. Amen? You know, as we close uh, today, please come up and love on Daniel and Molly. Uh, not how I was going to have them sign your Bible. No, don't do that, right? But tell them you're going to pray for them. I encourage you to do so. At the back as you go, we wanted to, to give a blessing to Khalid's ministry. Uh, not only does he lead worship at a church on Sunday, but I couldn't even mention all the different places he's leading worship. But if you'd like to be a part, uh, we'll just do a love offering for him and get it to him after service. And if you need prayer, don't leave service today 
without coming up for prayer, let us pray for you. Anoint you. Our pastors will be up here. And then please stay after for food and fellowship, and we have our adult Bible study. So well, if you would stand with me, because I see you. Um, Lord, we thank you today as we worship you, as we look into your word, Lord, that you fulfill us. That we go out throughout our day and throughout this week fulfilled in you. But Lord, we stop today before we close. We pray for that community in Florida today. Lord, you're with every hurting family, every hurting heart. Lord, every church, every ministry that reaches out. We rebuke evil and Satan in Jesus' name. Lord, do that work only you can in the hearts. Bring people alongside. Let us remember to continue to pray for those communities, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. We look forward to seeing you this week.